looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as I'm here to do each and every day, ready to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're taking a few deep dives on Deep Dive Wednesday. We're going to talk about the comeback from the setback, plus Will Fuller is back in the fold. How could he impact the team and the offense? And that wraps into our final point about how the offense can help to elevate the defense with better production. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Some roster news to get to here first on this edition of Drive Time. Roderick Johnson was added to the Dolphins practice squad in place of Bobby Hart, who was added recently to that same practice squad. And Johnson was a fifth-round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns back in 2017. He's played 626 career snaps over 2019 and 2020 in his career, both with the Houston Texans. He allowed 28 pressures on 403 pass-blocking snaps per pro football focus. So that's some of your roster activity uh, on this week three edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We'll get to some possible roster and and starting lineup shakeups here in just a minute. But we started off Tuesday with a assistant coach media availability. And I had one specific thing that I wanted to discuss with everyone that I could talk to. And it was about the approach to coming back from a tough loss like the Bills loss. And to a man, whether it was Defensive line coach Austin Clark, cornerbacks coach Charles Burks, wide receivers coach Josh Grizzard, offensive line coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre, co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach Eric Studisville. It was all the same to a man. It's that you have to have the same mentality, the same mindset, the same even keel temperament, whether it's a big win, a big loss, a close game, whatever the case may be, players will follow their lead and Charles Burke, I, Burks, I thought, said it the best when he said, it's a leader's job to set the tone and the temperament for the rest of his particular room. And in this case, panic creates panic, so we're not going to sit there and panic. So I thought that was an interesting opportunity to talk to the coaches. And it's not like, you know, we're sitting there and talking to each of them at the same time. I'm going from one coach to the next, and they all had a very similar mindset in terms of how you approach overcoming a tough loss like we had in week number two against the Bills. So with that, I wanted to go and look at some other setbacks over the last couple of seasons here with Brian Flores and how this team responded because, you know, I've always adopted the pers- the, the, philosoph- the philosophy that the bad game itself is not the story. It's what happens after that. And that's true for good games and winning production as well. And the Dolphins have a chance to prove that that was not the team they're going to be but can they do it? Because you have to just, you can't just show up and do it. You have to earn it. Shoot, I'm old enough to remember articles in week one asking the question, is Aaron Rodgers done? I mean, dude threw for 9.4 yards per attempt on Monday night with an 81.5% completion rate and a touchdown every like 6.8 passes with a passer rating of 145.6. So 
I mean, nope, he's not done, not, not, not for Aaron Rodgers. But you just don't get to show up again. You have to go out there and prove it. And for Miami, that comes this week in Las Vegas. And then we have to prove it again next week against Indianapolis and then against Tampa Bay and Jacksonville and so on and on and on and on. It's a week-to-week league. And that's how this team last year was able to come off a week two loss to the Buffalo Bills that was a three-point game. But if you recall, Buffalo had seized control late. They were up by 10, going down the field pretty much at will in that second half. And we had a late touchdown in, I don't want to call it garbage time because I had a chance for an onside kick to recover that and make it a game. But the Bills were definitely in a softer defense. So they had a 10-point lead late in that game. You know, a game that was after midway through the fourth quarter, just about in the books. And that had an impact that, and I know you all will remember this because we all watched the pregame show when this team's on national TV, but just four days later on the road on a short week in primetime, a Thursday night in Jacksonville, the entire panel before that game picked Jacksonville to win the game. And I think it was rather convincingly too. And the discussion was, as Jacksonville a playoff team and yada, 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 so on and so forth. We had a one-on-one team versus an 0-2 team. What's the result? Miami 31-13 in that game. Then, the next week versus the Seahawks. Lose a very tough game where you had chances to win. The red zone offense couldn't execute enough to get Seattle in a position where they had to storm and make or you know put together a comeback late in that game. But you fall to 1-3 with, again, kind of a difficult fourth quarter. And boy, that's a tough hole to climb out of at 1-3. A lot of pundits will claim that's kind of a death punch to the season. Like you get 0-2 is the first one. I think Ben Solak from The Ringer, who does some of the best work of anybody out there in the football stratosphere, you know, he had a good comment calling it 0-Tombstone because only 10% of teams in a 16-game format schedule have qualified for the playoffs in the past. I've always argued against that because obviously if you're a bad team, your chances of starting out 0-2 are pretty good. But when a good team starts off 0-2, it's not the same thing. So I, I have always hated grouping teams together like that in that regard. So I don't think that 10% applies to everybody. But it is a tough hole to climb out of. And after getting 0-2, you win your Week 3 game. If you go to 1-4, and it's like the exact same thing. So 1-3, 0-2, I guess 2-5 and would be the next step in that type of evaluation. But the whole point is when you're up against the ropes, how do you respond? How did the Dolphins respond last year when they were in that one and three hole? Well, they went into the house of the defending NFC champion, San Francisco 49ers, who were getting back Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo for that game. 43-17 Dolphins win. How about that very difficult loss in Denver without your starting quarterback the following week, no less? 20-3 win at the Meadowlands. You get a tough loss at home to Kansas City where the Chiefs would jump out to a 33-13 lead, and Miami's comeback effort put them in position to get the ball back with two minutes to go in that game, and just a six-point deficit, but you know how Mahomes and that offense goes. They're tough to stop in those moments, or really in any moment. So even within that game, this team responded. And then, to have to come up short and then welcome in the Patriots the following week, whose season was on the line at that point, to get a convincing 22-12 win off that tough loss says something about your mental makeup. So just last year alone, coming off a loss, Dolphins were 4-1. and one. And technically, if you include game one of this year with week 17 last year, which I don't think really counts, but if you want to go ahead and add it in there for the hell of it, that's 5-1. and one. So a chance to make it 6-1 and one off of losses since the start of 2020 under Brian Flores with a win in Las Vegas. 
But again, you don't just get there. You don't show up and it happens. You have to go out there and make the corrections and execute those corrections because execution is key for sure, right? And coach and the staff will certainly say the ability to execute comes back on them. It starts with Brian Flores and his coaching staff. So a better job from everyone included. So how about some areas that they can clean it up? Well, penalties is the first one that stands out. It was the second highest penalty total in the Brian Flores era. Nine penalties for 83 yards literally never happened last year. There was only a quarter of the games, four of the 16, that were even close to that. Eight for 64 against Cincinnati, seven for 75 against Arizona, seven for 69 in San Francisco, and five for 76 in Las Vegas. And wouldn't you know it, all four of those games were W's. And even though, again, you have to go out and prove it, history tells us that we can expect that to be something of an anomaly. It was the most penalties and yardage assessed on penalties since week 12 of uh, 2019 in Cleveland when the Dolphins were in their first year under Brian Flores with a completely different roster. How about drop passes? Last year, per pro football focus, 32 drop passes on the season. Obviously, easy math there tells you that's two per game. Sunday, more than double that. Five drops in that game, and we've already covered a few times the significance of a couple of those drops, possible points on the board with some of those. And a fumble, too, no less, right around uh, fourth and goal. Fourth and inches inside the five-yard line, I should say. How about fourth down success rate? They were 0 for 4 on Sunday. Their average in 2020, did you know this? I didn't. I forgot about this. 80%. They were 8 for 10 on fourth down last year. In 2019, it was 46.4%, 13 for 28. So tendencies, history, all this stuff is instructive. So here's getting back to those basics, your fundamentals, your techniques, your alignment, your assignment, the Brian Flores message. This is the week to really hone in on that message. Then there's something else that we get back this week that I think could provide a nice shot in the arm for an offense that's off to a slow start, obviously, uh, 32nd in points scored right now, is Will Fuller's return to the lineup. Now, granted, we'll see how quickly he can get up to full capacity and full speed, and by that, I mean the workload you've seen with Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddell as your primary snap takers at receiver, but first, I wanted to go back and look at success rate by package and man the resources we have today with statistics is so good like so 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 good you know I think it's a fedora with safari flaps it's so good it's an inside joke for you guys 11 personnel for Miami 32 percent success rate that has to get better and it's the primary package 68 plays out of that package only less than a third of them have been successful what that means is how you cut down your yards to go On first down, if you gain five yards, successful play because you cut the distance in half. Second down, if it's second and eight, you got to get four yards for a successful play. Cut the distance in half. Third down, converting is is how you consider a successful play. 12 personnel, that's one tight end, two running backs. Sorry, one running back, two tight ends, and two receivers. 55% success rate on 38 plays. That's pretty good that you can win with that. And then with 13 personnel, just five plays ran, 80% success. 21 personnel, just four plays ran, 50% success. And then 22 is two backs, two tight ends. They've ran three plays out of that and had zero successful plays in terms of cutting the distance of yardage to go in half. So back to the 11 personnel package, your primary offensive package for just about every team in the National Football League, unless you're the Patriots with your two tight ends with Hunter Henry and John O. Smith, or your 49ers who, who still run a fullback out there the majority of the time. 11 personnel is primarily every team's primary package. And that's where I think Miami can make up the most ground. And wouldn't you know it, that's where Will Fuller has traditionally made his biggest impact. 
Going back to just last year with the Houston Texans, they had a 51% success rate in 11 personnel when Fuller was in the lineup. And this is one of the best offenses in the NFL last year. So 51% success rate. That's not like overwhelming, but it's a good number. When he was down the last few weeks of the season, it dropped to 45%, like a very significant drop in success rate from the time Will Fuller was there to the time he's not. And I think his inclusion gives you a couple of things. Again, when he's full go, it gives you the ability to separate quickly, which is so beneficial in the scheme and the system that is predicated on pre-snap motion and shifts and getting guys free releases. And his release game is exceptional. He puts corners in immediate conflict just by the nature of his game and what he can do with every route being in the Rolodex for what he can run. And we saw Buffalo squatting on a lot of what looked like Tua's first read, you know, coming off RPO. We talked about that first play of the game, the sack. There's two defenders bracketing Parker inside and outside. And Fuller get, just gives the defense another speedster like a waddle, but also a technician to contend with. Like you have to account for the deep speed. You have to account for the ability to break in, to go out, the two-way go, the screen game. He can just do it all. And I think the ability opens up some options with route combinations to the same side of the field because you've seen some one route stuff and then you get you have to get to the backside once that's taken away. And that really kind of is tough to do when you have the RPO and guys possibly blocking downfield or a quick setup passing game where you want to cut or chip or just try to create two seconds of time for the quarterback to throw back there. And we've seen, you know, the, the option to, to get two man routes on the same side of the field can confuse the coverage. It can possibly pull linebackers out of the possible rush zones. If you can beat them and replace those pot, those spots with the football. And just a quick aside real quick, you know, Peyton Manning talked about this on the Peyton and Eli pod, uh, not podcast on the broadcast. And by the way, that thing could revolutionize the way we watch football games. I think that's the best. That's the pinnacle of sports programming. If you ask me, I'm, I'm mad that I let this idea become a thing without making it known that I had that idea several years ago. Talked about it last week on the podcast. The Seattle Mariners did a players only broadcast like three years ago. So it wasn't my idea. I mean, I, I took it from the Mariners, but I had it before football did. I think <laughs> that, you know, it was like Mike Blowers and Jay Buhner and like Dan Wilson talking, you know, there was no play-by-play guy. So there was no, and in comes Ramirez, a 2-2 pitch off the plate outside, three and two, it's a full count. It was just like, oh, nasty slider there. He snapped that thing off. Hey, when you were pitching, how did you get to your breaking pitches on the late in the count? Like they, it was all about the analysis of the game. And I, I was like, that's brilliant. It's like, a po- it's like a podcast during a broadcast, which is, I think, the future of sports broadcasting. But back to the point, Peyton said when Jared Goff, that even though he's a smart, studious quarterback, it's just not going to be second nature that quickly in a new system to get to your second or third read. Like to know in the back of your mind, okay, if it's not there to the right, I know I come back to this landmark and this position against this coverage, against this leverage to the left, and he's going to be there. I know where the ball has to be to make this play happen. He said that that starts to happen or did happen for him in year number two in a new system. And he was saying that Lions fans and Goff need patience in Detroit because as he gets comfortable in that system, he'll only get better. And that's obviously applicable to every single quarterback in the history of the world. And this is a new offensive system here. So something to keep in mind. Back to Will real quick. He provides conflict at the line. And again, we know this offense utilizes motion. They've got crossers and the ability to go quick and stretch the defense horizontally and create spacing that way. I really think that Will's inclusion allows the Dolphins to kind of 
mirror some of the stuff on the other side with he and Waddle and that speed and ability to quickly separate again 4.6 yards of separation last week for Waddle very 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 good average can only help dictate coverage either on one side of the field or both sides and if you have that take the top off the defense type of speed on either side then the defense has to choose to contend with one or both and if it's both then that can open up the run game which also opens up further options in the RPO game. So we'll see how quickly he can get acclimated. But a lot of stuff we talked about on this podcast this offseason with regards to the ability to be explosive and create constant conflict for the defense and open up stuff for the run game and other parts of the offense based upon what you do well, that conversation was had with the thought of both Waddle and Fuller in the lineup on the field together. So I can't wait to see that. That's how I think this offense can really get back to being successful and being explosive to help this team win games. And one way they can do that is to help the defense out. And just real quick here, some cumulative defensive success rates against 11 personnel so far this season. Check this out. Miami was, what what we say, 30, scroll back up, 32%, which is low, right? Defensively, 28% success. Like Miami's defense is shutting down the top personnel package so far right now of the opposition of choice. And New England didn't run it as much, but Buffalo, that was their primary package of choice, and Miami did a good job against it. 12 personnel package, 45%. That's, again, you're winning football right there against a Patriots team in week one that ran primarily 12 personnel packages. 35 of their snaps were out of that package. So, again, defensively, you're winning a down on a down-by-down down basis at a better-than-average rate, like significantly. And I think these are very encouraging numbers going forward because if the offense can find their rhythm – and put more pressure on opposing offenses. Like, for instance, the Mac Jones-Patriots plan was as effective as it was for them. And and look, I think holding a team to 16 points, regardless of how you do it, is a win. Like, doesn't matter. If you hold somebody to 16 points, you won defensively that day. But they were able to stay with that plan because the scoreboard allowed them to. And if the offense could have put more pressure on the New England offense, maybe they have to start making more, taking more chances. And we've seen what this defense can do when the opposing offense takes those chances real quick back to Peyton Eli Peyton talked about this against the Lions how they always start off in too high and next gen stats can verify that 100% of their defensive snaps start off in too high now they disguise their coverage that way and they rotate off of that and just real quick for the lesson of the day too high refers to your safeties and safeties will tell you what the coverage is going to do most of the time. Like if, unless they have a good disguise on, which a lot of DCs do, but the safeties take you to where you want to go. That's why myself and everybody that watches film and watches a lot of football complains when the broadcast doesn't show you the safeties on the screen, because it tells you everything, most things that you need to get a read on what's going to happen next. So they play out of too high every snap and, and they rotate off of that. But Aaron Rodgers, to, to Peyton's point, essentially had to stay patient to take the things the defense was giving him, which was the run game and the checkdowns, and you find your backs and your tight ends in the passing game, right? And sure enough, Aaron Jones, six grabs, 48 yards, Robert Tanyan, three for 53, and Rodgers only throws five incompletions on the night on 27 pass attempts. Again, just 27 pass attempts tells you how efficient they were in both areas of being balanced on offense. But you see the key, and we're rhyming today, is to stay patient because you'll eventually get your chances to attack and to be vertical. And I think two of those incompletions from Rodgers, if I'm not mistaken, one for sure 
were deep shots. And I remember he had Adams with a step and a half on the outside, and the ball was just out of reach. And the reason I remember that was because Peyton was like, oh, you missed him. Like, I love watching Peyton react to the quarterbacks. He only cares about the offense. He wants them to succeed every single play. But that was the only incompletion on the day to Devontae Adams. He threw another dime right after that, or right before it, I can't remember, and it goes for a big completion. Adams winds up with eight catches on nine targets for 121 yards. So you stay patient, and you take your chances where you can. That's the kind of efficiency you can have. So all of this is to say that the offense can help the defense by being more efficient, limiting the opposition's chances, requiring them to be more aggressive based upon the scoreboard, and then this defense, I think, can really take off. Look at the big wins last year. What happened? We scored early in those games. Jacksonville, 14-zip, three takeaways in that game. San Francisco, 14-zip, three takeaways again. Jets the first time, 21-zip to start that game. Two takeaways, but three sacks and two for 17 on third down. Rams game, 28-7, four takeaways. Second Jets game, 13-3 start, two takeaways, three for 13 on third down. So you get these leads. This defense can really turn the screws when they're playing with that lead. And getting back to that will really prove beneficial to this team. And my thought is that Will Fuller's return can help them get on track as they continue to get more experience and continuity within this offense. So that to me is my upshot, my reason for optimism, possible lineup changes, and the inclusion of Will Fuller. And of course, we'll see who's at quarterback on Sunday. So personnel changes defensively. That's a little more week-to-week in terms of deployment. I think you can see the takeoff when the offense gets going a little bit too. So no real suggestions there defensively. I just think keep doing what you're doing, and and the other side can take care of you as far as offense and defense goes and get that complimentary brand of football back on track like this Dolphins team enjoys so far through the first two-plus seasons of Brian Flores. All right, shorter podcast today. That's going to be my time. We're going to have the game preview coming your way tomorrow and some more video content, both in terms of the snippet, the preview trailer. I'm also on Dolphins today every single Friday on YouTube, so check that out. Breaking down the game coming up that particular week. We'll have John Kinjemi on for Friday's show to give him the last word and answer some of your questions on the Twitter mailbag. We'll get back into the picks and the weekend in college football, which, by the way, after an 0-3 start in college and 9-7 in the NFL in Week 1, we stormed right back, baby. 3-0 in college last week, 12-4 and in the league. That's what we're talking about. Plenty of content to come your way, but in the meantime, Caroline, daddy is coming home. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. The Fish Tank has a new episode up with Anthony Harris. Check those guys out, Seth and OJ. YouTube.com, Miami Dolphins channel for all the media availabilities. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Till next time, fins up.